Hello, listeners. Um, it's Philip here. I'm with Peter. Mark might or might not hop on in a bit. Uh, we're we're taping live from Paris, right after the French Open final. Uh, and La Bamba is the appropriate song because it's uh, the the song Nadal uses for karaoke, and he he should be celebrating tonight. Um, in a, I guess, socially distanced way. He won't be going to his fancy dinner, probably, but uh, it'll probably be ordered in. Um, and it was... Uh, the what, what was striking about the final was that it was um, unusually easy, like, easier than anyone would have expected given the circumstances. Um... And so, Peter, before we talk about the details of the match, I want to ask you, have you ever prepared for something where you think the other person is going to bring maximum intensity and you, so you prepare your, your maximum intensity, but the other person ends up not bringing their maximum intensity? Yeah, there was one match in um, in junior squash that really stuck sticks out. It was um, it was against this guy who was known to be just a total grinder, and um, I'd had sort of multi-hour matches with him in the past where I was on the losing end and was extremely disappointed. Um, I once lost to him in five in nationals, and there was one game where. I was up 8-0 in, in a game, and I ended up losing it 10-8. Um, that's the equivalent of being up 5-0 in tennis and losing it a game. And then he won the match. And uh, there was just a match that I played with him um, in a pretty big junior tournament where I could just tell it wasn't the real him, and it was just way too easy. And uh, I took it. Don't get me wrong. I was, I felt like I deserved a, a good win against him. Um, I felt like, uh, but at the same time, I knew I wasn't beating him on his best day. Um, and yeah, I was totally fine with it, but sort of understood the situation. Yeah. Um, similarly for me, it was a squash, a squash match. Um, where I uh, I was in a challenge match and it was a very tight match until the fifth game or the equivalent of a fifth set in tennis and uh, and yeah I uh, I was prepared for the fifth for the fifth game and uh, the other guy just totally gave up which was really really frustrating because I had my highest level and I wanted to beat him like when he was giving his maximum effort. And that, I think that's sort of... Nadal did have his best uh, his best uh, effort today, his best level. So I think like he might have been a bit cheated by Djokovic not having his best level, but like the fans were sort of cheated in a similar way. But you, you say you have... Uh, you say you have takes on this. Um, yeah, so... Pushing back on the premise a little bit, and just sort of the narrative, like the, the whole narrative is that Djokovic didn't really play that well. Um, 
I feel like at least in the first set and for a lot of the seconds, yeah, from mainly the first set, um, there were multiple service games of Nadal's that went to Deuce. Djokovic had some, um, Djokovic had some, uh, had some break points. He had some, um, game points on his own serves where he was broken. And it's just like, the score line was not really indicative for how close the the match was. Yeah, the first some, the first set was six zero, but forty five minutes. And there were some insane points too. And Djokovic was winning some of them. And Nadal was clearly playing better, but I don't think it was that Djokovic was necessarily playing bad. I just think Nadal was playing out of his mind. Yeah. And um, another thing, sort of on that, from having folded. Oh, I think Mark is calling. Hello, Mark? Shit. Uh, Mark. Hey, guys. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about what Peter was saying is that the narrative is that Joker didn't have his best level. Uh, but he thinks, like, the scoreline is just not indicative of how close the points were and how close the games were. Yeah, I guess the only thing is I feel like different tournaments are in different people's rackets from the start. I didn't see the match, uh, but intuitively I felt that, you know, Rafa knew he had to get off to a big start, uh, do the opposite of what happened at the Aussie Open. Um, so I would say the match was on Rafa's racket. If they both played their best match on clay, Rafa wins. But the fact that Joker probably it took him like two sets to find his form, you know, made the climb almost impossible. So I don't know if I'm repeating anything that you guys have said, but, you know, from afar, just by checking the score, um, given Rafa's ownership of that tournament, and in general, that surface, it was his match to win. Yeah. I, I think that is the common narrative, but what I'm, I, I, what I'm getting at is, like, there were just some incredible points in that match. Even in the 6-0 first game, Djokovic had uh, breakpoint chances on Rafa's serve, um, a lot, of, a lot of the games that Djokovic lost on his own serves were, were like eight-minute multi-deuce games where he had game points too. And it, it wasn't the sort of it wasn't even though it was six love, it wasn't a beatdown six love. It was just, yeah. I mean, I yeah. saw that it was forty-five minutes, and there's no such thing yeah. as a forty-five-minute beatdown. Yeah. Yeah, and and he um, and so it's the kind of thing where uh. Nadal was playing better, and it was pretty clear that Nadal was playing better. I think the the way that Djokovic, if Djokovic is Djokovic's first serve percentage was forty two percent, at least in the first set, and if that had been seventy percent, I think it could have been a closer set. I think that was, but the fact, but like people have low first serve percentages all the time, and I think that was the yeah, only thing that was really that, that was the only thing that was really off. I think. And if there's only, like, one thing that's off, and especially on clay where the serve isn't as big a deal, um, I don't know. I think Djokovic was playing well. I think just Rafa was playing 10 out of 10 for Rafa. And uh, score is not indicative for how close it, it actually was, but but um, it's not like Djokovic folded over or wasn't himself, like, the way that I think it's getting spun. Think, do you think? Do you think? Do you think roof closed would have made a difference? Do you think uh, roof, yeah, the roof was closed? 
Oh, it was closed. Okay, well, that answers that. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, it, is it a case, and I don't know if you go to the U.S. Open or other tournaments, first semifinal match versus second semifinal match, the second semifinal match probably doesn't get as full of practice on Saturday if they get to practice at all. Do you think that, that there is an advantage to the player who plays first on Fridays, whether it's Wimbledon or, or the U.S.? Maybe not the U.S. Open as much, but for some reason Wimbledon and French seem to favor the one who plays the first match. I don't know. I definitely I, I think would, they I would rather. I would rather play first. I think Djokovic looked a little more tired, but it wasn't like remarkably so. I think part of Nadal being... It, it was really just Nadal looked incredibly fresh. And it could have just been like the COVID layoff plus having just having one having not lost a set coming into the match, he was just fresh. Um, but yeah, I think there was some sort of one of the players was just a little fresher than the other, and maybe that could have factored in. You think you think uh, Rafa sandbagged it a little bit in Rome, or he just wasn't his game just wasn't in groove yet. Yeah, I think one of the best things about the stretch for him is that he. He played slightly better in every match he's played um, from really the first round match in Rome until the final of Roland Garros. So he didn't have his best form in Rome, but you don't want him to have his best form in Rome. So yeah, I guess losing the Schwartzman kind of sucks, but like uh, it's better than peaking against Schwartzman in the semifinals of Rome. Yeah. Do you think that at the end of the day that, that it's the, what Peter said? That the absolute only way to, to beat, I don't want to say the only way, but probably the only way to beat him uh, at the French is to serve big and go heavy with your first serve so that you're in an offensive position pretty much the whole point, you know, and you'll get, you'll get two or three chances to win every point or at least close it at the net. But if you can't go big on your, if you don't have a high first serve percentage, you're, you know, you're swimming upstream pretty much the whole time. Yeah, because if you're if you aren't uh, putting in first serves and then backing them up, then it means every game, every one of your service games is in play, uh, and he's just the better rallier than you are. So what what uh what are what are some of the other um what has, has that been the main topic of conversation so far, or, or there've been other? Other subtopics. Well, one one thing I want to bring up is um, there were a lot of points in this match where Djokovic went for a line and barely missed it, while Rafa like hit balls that either like bounced off the line weirdly or like barely clipped the side of the line. And uh, a lot of times that's inverted when they play. A lot of times Djokovic is the one clipping the line. Uh, more often than you think is like can be done on purpose and Rafa is the one barely missing um and I think it's like it's not really a luck thing as much as it's like indicative of who's feeling the pressure like you have to and go also like who, for, who's, who's just slightly more locked in who's yeah. like a little fresher because yeah. you can imagine that they hit those lines in practice right it's more of a yeah, I think who just has all their wits about him and is just in the zone. How do these guys get good? I mean, how do you get how do you get appropriate practice either of these guys to play each other? Like, do you have to play against somebody who's like thirtieth in the world and give them a thirty love lead every day? How do you get in? I understand that you have a match two days before, but like, 
what would be the ideal practice partner in between the semis and the finals? Or is I think, it mental practice? That I think it's got to be, it's a lot of visualization is what I can imagine. Djokovic has actually spoken about just how much he visualizes, but you cannot practice, um, even if they practice against each other, you can't, yeah. you can't practice that level. Um, you can't, pra- you can't fake desperation. You can't fake like really wanting it. You can't yeah, put the miles on your body in practice that these matches put on you. Um, and so I think there's a lot of visualization. They've played each other 50, what, 56 times now, 57 times. Um, they have a lot of experience. Yeah. It's 29, 27 Djokovic now in the head to head. That's um, absurd. Yeah. That's a, just, just the amount of matches is just absurd. Yeah. So my, my question is, do you think they're as motivated to sort of keep the younger guys off, off the grand slam scoreboard as they are to, to beat each other? I mean, it, it, is that sort of a double motivator to sort of keep them, you know, from padding their, their totals? Like the whole idea that we're still want to, we want to fend off, you know, the next wave as long as possible. Or do you think the main motivation is beating each other on the big stage? I mean, I they have to they, beat the younger guys in order to play each other on the big stage, you know, because they're the one and two seed. So it's like I think the main motivation is having the most Grand Slam titles at the end of the day. Um, Djokovic has said that out loud. That's what he says is keeping him going. Uh, trying to beat beat the record, whatever that ends up being. Yeah, and I, I think that um, keeping the young guys sort of at bay, that's more of a media narrative to keep things interesting than it is a Nadal Djokovic internal monologue. Like, I remember a year or two ago when Rafa was out of the Australian Open early, he was asked who the favorite is, and he was given, like, team or Zverev or whoever and he's like oh roger and novak (laughs) (laughs) like 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 they know who plays the best level like (laughs) if you're one of the guys who's really on the top level you know who else is on the top level and they don't like the other guys aren't serious contenders they're just really not and and uh there's a lot of spin there's a lot of sort of media trying to make these younger players uh, sort of marketable and and um, just have I don't know bring more uh, intrigue to to uh, yeah to, to the situation. But at the end of the day, like it was Roger, it was Rafa and Novak in the Australian Open final. It was Rafa and Novak in it was team it was the, it was team and team and Novak in Australia. Right, right, right. Oh yeah, sorry. Well, regardless. <laughs> the last year was just yeah, those guys. I think yeah. last year, I mean, basically it was just those. Yeah, and also uh, Sitsipas did take Novak to five in the uh, semifinal. And, uh, but he, Novak was up 2-0, and he had match balls point. in the third. Yeah, I, I think there's like these guys, it's like the equivalent, I guess, of like the really good warm-up band. You know, everybody's still going to see the Stones and the and Pink, you know, whatever it is, whatever the U2 and all the other headliner bands. And these, these other guys are like the Maroon Five and the, <laughs> you know, the Foo Fighters and all these other. Uh, I think Sitsipas. Uh, I wouldn't. I'm not discounting Sitsipas taking Novak to five as much as you are. Steph played really well in that match. Um, 
And I think if he hadn't, like, if an injury hadn't flared up for him in the fifth set, he might have taken the match. Would you, if you were him, would you have cut your hair in between the fourth and the fifth set? I mean, like, do you think if he just went in there and just got a quick, just a quick haircut, he might have been a little Like Hansel and Zoolander? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I don't mean cutting up his whole body. I don't mean, like, drawing too much blood, but at least, yeah, cutting up the hair. Who do you think, so two questions. Who do you think takes more pride in their hair, Zverev or Sitsipas? Sitsipas. Sitsipas. Who do you think deserves to take more pride in their hair? <laughs> Zverev or Sitsipas? Yeah, probably yeah. probably Sitsipas. I, I, I have a uh, dark horse for this. It's Paul-Henri Mathieu. Okay. No, no, no. Phil- no, Pierre Hugues-Herbert, sorry. I get my hyphenated French last names mixed up. <laughs> totally, totally. So, um... So is there, is there anything left to achieve this year? I don't think Rafa cares about the Paris indoors, even though it would be nice to add that to his... his uh, Rafa, Rafa puts down the racket until London, whereas... You mean who, the Paris indoors is like competing to see who becomes the next Jack Sock? <laughs> I got you. Yeah. The best yeah. of the rest. It's the so best here's, of here's a question. How well do we think Zach, Jack Sock will do at this year's Paris indoors? I don't think he plays. I don't think I don't think he qualifies. He'd have to fly back to Europe for it. So does the Paris? <laughs> indo- I don't yeah. even know if the Paris indoors is happening. Uh, Nadal was asked a question about the ATP Tour Finals uh, in his press conference today. <laughs> he doesn't even know when it is. Yeah, he I was like, I no I don't even know my calendar. He that was his <laughs> response, and I he he also wasn't sure if he was gonna like hang up the shoes for the rest of the season and just wait. Wait until Australia or until the pandemic is under control. Or if that's he's... what I would do. If I were him, I would just like he was pretty damn good this tournament, and fewer fewer miles on that body, the better. He's not going to be losing any ranking points. Just like hang him up. Yeah, be like a boxer who like fights once or twice a year. Yeah, but it's a different. You know what it is, though. But but I he realizes that probably better than the rest. Which is that it's it may be just two weeks, but it's like the equivalent of five. Probably you know the hard week of training before the mental training in between matches. You know it is it is what separates the men from the boys. But I think you know there's 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 sort of two ways to look at it. One, it's just the he's playing with the house's money, so every time he steps out on the court, you know it's he's, it, again it's all gravy. But I would say from from a longer term, if he wants to get another three years of Grand Slams in, then he should just hang up the shoes for the rest of the, I mean, I was shocked that he played the London thing last year the way he did after he got crushed in the first match, and then he sort of gave it every ounce he had for the next two or three. And then I think there was some more tennis after that with the Davis Cup thing. So he, he's, uh, he's unpredictable sort of when, when he's going to give it his best. But I, I I would think that the rest of them would want to be as well rested as as Federer for Australia next year. <laughs> yeah, a consideration is that he's never won the end of year tournament. So yeah, he might. Yeah, that's what the person well. who asked the question like started with. It's like the one thing you haven't won is the end of the year Masters. Is that something you're gonna <laughs> lock in on this year? Um, and yeah, that was like the beginning of the question. But that was probably can't... some like stooge by the ATP who's trying to drum up, who's trying to make the ATP Masters like 
more prestigious. Yeah. But why can't that be on different surfaces? Why not add the element of intrigue and play that on play that on know, ice? Play, <laughs> play it on. like like in Mario <laughs> Tennis, they had those like yeah. Play play it on. What are some other sur- rubber? No. Uh, yeah. What 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 surface? Cobblestone. Yeah, do- just cow dog <laughs> like they play in most of the world. Like yeah. Just flat out dirt. Yeah, the, Phil- the Philippines Open. I was reading that the that the French Open was originally on sand. Oh, wow. Yeah, in like the 18, late 1800s. I think it changed to clay in 1908. Wow. Sand, that would be tough. Yeah. Um, so I... Let's see. Other than that, what, what other... What other what was the most enjoyable match you watched independent of any Rafa match? What match made you watch it or did you end up watching? I think Team Schwartzman. Team Schwartzman and Djokovic since the past were the two best non non Rafa matches in the tournament. You think do you think Schwartzman and, and Rublev and uh, Busta Carreño can sort of be top twelve, fourteen mainstays for a while? Or do you think they had their run and then they'll cool off and they'll, they'll just sort of be up and down? Those three. I think Rublev and Schwartzman can. I think the best match by far was the final in terms of level of play. Like some of those points were ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in terms of competitive level, it was the ones Phil said. Yeah. Um, in terms of like intrigue and drama. Yeah. Team Schwartzman was maybe the most physical match. Like, like of of the tournament, um, yeah, and team just ran out of gas. Um, yeah, I guess five that, hours, eight minutes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, then Sitsipas. I wish Sitsipas had not like had the injury flare up because that was that was also just a battle. Um, but I think like yeah, the quality of play in the final was just so high. It's like. Compare that to the U.S. Open final, and you see like uh, why it's better to have a big three final versus a non-big three final. So, why, so when you guys said that this match was absurd, even I, I was just going to add, and why team was so nervous about this opportunity he had against a non-big three opponent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, those were the best two players in the world at the U.S. Open final. <laughs> they were the best two players left in North America at that time. That's they, correct. They were the best two non-injured German speakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what's the moon in Paris like? That you know, you, you had two Frenchmen playing in the finals. No, no, it's very gloomy Is because because sort of uh, Novak lost. Um. Yeah, there there are no parades on the Champs Elysees today. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. It's, but Nadal is more French than any of them. So I mean, he's the most French of the bunch. He spends more time on those tennis courts than any French player has. If you take all the French players combined, I think Nadal spends more time on on those courts. <laughs> so just by <laughs> possession is nine tenths of the law. Yeah, that's that's pretty true. Um, I guess one more thing to talk about is this was number 20 for Rafa. I guess number 13 at Roland Garros, which is absurd. Uh, 
I think that's a record that's unlikely to be broken. And then uh, also number 20, uh, number 20 Grand Slam tying Roger Federer. Um, now that this has happened, like, how do you foresee, like, the Grand Slam supremacy playing out? Yeah, well, the French will go to Rafa, and Australia should go to Novak, and it's what happens in the other two tournaments, I think. So, but I mean, that's sense, Rafa will be three ahead of Novak. I think that they that each of them will grab at least one apiece next year. So it's it's I think it's a question of what happens from there. I just how don't many, know which one Roger can win. How many French do you think Rafa ends up with? I'll leave that to you guys. You guys are pretty intuitive there. I would say four. I would say, how many more is he going to play? Three or two? Do you think? Do you uh, think he'll play two more or three more? Like in his mind, do you think he's planning for two more or three more? You just never know when a person's body is going to give out. Um, like Kobe Bryant was playing incredibly good basketball until he just injured his Achilles and was never the same again. Um, I think he'll play until he gets some sort of really bad injury he can't come back from. Because um, I think that, like, the body does an extremely good job of uh, maintaining a level until you have some sort of injury that kind of, like, makes it so you can't get back to that. Yeah. Yeah, as long as he can practice every day, he'll... Like, I could, I could see a 37-year-old Nadal just still being awesome. But I could also see that 37-year-old Nadal just being a shell of himself. Well, yeah. I don't think that he would allow that to happen. So I guess it's, I would say then at least two. If you think he might play three or four more, then I would say two. I don't, I don't think he's going to, I think he will retire after he wins one of them. Whether it's, you know, two years from now or three years from now, I think he'll call it quits. Do you think he I mean, wins? Do you think he'll retire at the French Open? It would make sense that he would retire there. I mean, why retire at the U.S. Open or Wimbledon? When that's not really where his heart is, so do you think he I think wins? Part of it will depend on part of it will depend on how how uh, how the Grand Slam record is 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 sorting itself out. Sure. Yeah. Do you think uh, Do you think uh, he wins a non French major? Well, not he He's a contender in all of them. Like he was a contender in Wimbledon not too long ago. He uh, he won the U.S. Open the last time he played it. He's, I mean, he's he's not a lock, but I feel like he's a contender in all of them, such that yeah, if if Djokovic loses, win one or two more. If Djokovic loses in Australia, Rafa is immediately the favorite. You know, I don't think he's going to beat Djokovic in Australia if they like play each other. But if Djokovic like has an injury or like. Hits a lines person in the neck, um, <laughs> <laughs> like immediately. Nadal is the favorite in Australia too. Yeah, and Wimbledon and the U.S. Yeah. yeah. So basically, sort of, the bet is on, I guess, how long Nadal's body can hold up, and the pandemic might actually be good for him because it means he's not putting more miles on it. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I guess, like, yeah, his next tournament might be the Australian Open. Um, and 
he'll be he'll be one of the favored uh, players there. Yeah, no doubt. I just don't see him playing four majors a year. I don't. I think at that point you have to concede one. You do the better psychologically or physically. I think he either concedes the Wimbledon Open and says I'm going to play out one of those without a lot of practice, or I'm going to just hope that the draw opens up and then I'll play. But I just think it's hard. I think it's hard for these guys to go all in for all four majors, given how many miles they have in the tires. But Joker, you know, I I don't know if Joker. I'm trying to think. In a normal year, would Joker kill himself on the French Open? Maybe, maybe not. You know, the same way that Nadal doesn't really break his back before Wimbledon and just goes on his talent. So, I know that would be my, my attitude that each of them will have to sort of focus on three. So, they'll have to, you know, really go all in on one of those three. And then the fourth one, they might try to steal it. Yeah. I think that the one that Nadal would. Uh, ease up on it, like you said, is Wimbledon just because it's so close after the French Open in a normal year. But I think he really wants another Australian Open. Like he's had a lot of disappointment there, and um, I guess a, another way to differentiate himself from the others will be to have two majors uh, in, at all the or two wins of all the slams. Yeah, I think uh, also this year, sort of. Uh, I think the the. The person this year was least uh, lucky for was Novak because he would have been the favorite at Wimbledon. He would have won yeah. the U.S. Open if that like freak event hadn't happened. So instead of 19, which he would probably have if this were a normal year, he has uh, 17 still. Yeah, but he's gotten lucky. I mean, he's gotten a little bit lucky in some finals too against Roger, against uh, Rafa in 2012, Ozzy. So... I think with him, it's evened out. You know, you could even say he was—he got a little bit lucky at Wimbledon in 2018 when he started his resurgence. So I think the luck has still been more on his side than against him. But this year, he just had—he had some bad luck. You know, in the Grand Slams, not in the Masters 1000s. Yeah, I mean, this was his first like real loss of the year, as well. Um, but yeah, I think like uh, the narrative shifts a bit because. Uh, this before the year, I thought Novak was going to catch Rafa and Roger like pretty soon, but uh, he's still three away. So Novak needs to like remain dominant uh, for a little while longer. Meanwhile, there are guys like Yannick Sinner coming up who who really have uh, who really have the goods. Uh, I think like Sinner and Sitsipas are the ones that might um that might uh dethrone the champs. Yeah, and you know, Shapovalov, all those guys are only getting better, so it should, should be an interesting time. So what's next? What what is next? Is there an Asian swing or it's just the Asian swing doesn't even exist and it's just some Europe turn, tournaments. Yeah, I don't think there is an Asian swing. I actually don't know what's next. Uh it sounds like there is going to be an ATP Tour Finals. It sounds like there is going to be an Australian Open. But uh, from what I've read, it, Australia, they're going to make the, all of the players do a 14-day quarantine there. So, uh, yeah, that makes it sound like... Um, first of all, it makes it sound like Australia is really taking the virus a lot more seriously than... Um, <laughs> Europe and the U.S. are, which is a good thing. 
Uh, yeah, but they did a very bad job of dealing with it before. So I think they're just making up for lost time. Australia? I mean, I don't think they've done a job up to now. No, Australia has done an excellent job. Australia and oh, New Zealand have? are like, uh, yeah, are okay. like shaming everyone because of how responsible they are. Um, uh, okay. I thought they had a surge. Maybe not. Well, Paris got away with it. I mean, yeah. they said when in France it was like 18,000 cases yesterday. Or... Dude, there were 26,000. I look. <laughs> There's a it's a population of 65 million, and uh, there are currently 585,000 active cases here. So it's like 0.9 percent of the population has COVID right now, if if the numbers are accurate. But yeah, they 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 were able to do it. They they <laughs> succeeded. Uh, typical French cavalier. You know, damned, you know, thumbing their nose at the rest of the world, but they got away with it. That's it. They got away with it. I don't slinging letting, slinging letting their fans. underwear over their shoulder at the rest <laughs> of the world. Letting fans in the stands during during a spike. You know, everybody jumped on the U.S. New York's rate was incredibly low at that time. Yeah, they got away with it. But whatever. That's, that, that's the nature of, of the beast. I'm, I'm sure we're all, all glad that they did get away with it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so any more takeaways from this tournament, um, Peter and Mark? So, one is that uh, there will be another one in six months. Like, Rafa will still be 34 next <laughs> time the French Open is played. And he's, uh, so, it's like, if, there's, if there isn't much degradation or injury or anything, he's, like, sufficiently laid down the law to Novak that like, I'd be, it would be really surprising if Rafa does not win again in the next go-around. Um, but there is the whole, like, Rafa and Roger are tied at 20 now uh, situation. Um, as a Nadal fan, we've been waiting for this for a while. Uh, Federer wrote a good, a good like, Twitter post about it. It was very classy and sort of... Uh, just congratulating Rafa as like a friend and a great champion. Um, yeah, I was actually I was thinking of a different adjective. I was thinking bisexual, but uh, may, maybe classy is the right word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he's got a little crush on Rafa, but that's maybe it's just total respect. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the goat discussion is really it's it's crazy how like. Being one down in the major count is feels like such a mountain, but then being tied even, uh, like I don't know how that conversation changes or not. Like uh, I don't know what the narrative is on the goat right now. Uh, like the doll does have the Olympic gold medal; he has the head-to-head. Roger still has like the better career. Novak probably has the highest degree of difficulty okay, of them all. And it could it's kind of interesting, like Nadal could pass Roger and then it's not gonna be like I think I don't think it's gonna be a clear cut Nadal is the greatest ever. It'll be more of a uh all three of them are the greatest ever, or both Nadal and Federer are the greatest ever. And it just shows kind of like the A just like how much sort of narrative and, and uh who the fans love plays into it. And 
And uh, B, I think, is actually fair. Like, Federer has such a beautiful game. Um, I'm really glad that Nadal was able to tie him just because it. I think they both should be consider- They should be even with each other. Like, um, just because they can both do things that the other one can't. Yeah, I was sort of mar- there. There were like three or four times this match where Nadal hit a backhand overhead, and every time he hits that shot, I'm just like marveling because like nobody can do that shot. Like I was thinking to myself, it's like, how did he? Did does he just hit that naturally, or did Uncle Tony like when he was eight years old, like just say? You're gonna hit a hundred backhand overheads a day because you're going to have an advantage over everyone else if you can master this. Yeah, that's a that's a question. Like, if I were ever at a, like a press conference, that I would ask it all. Like, how did you get so good at the backhand overhead? Yeah. And then I don't know. I think uh, yeah. For now, it's like. I mean, Federer doesn't really have a case uh, against Rafa other than, like, just, like, longevity and just impact on the, like, stylistic, uh, yeah. Also, like, he sort of, he sort of set the bar for the other ones to chase. Yeah. Um, He was a little earlier than the other two, which... It actually can be used against him, but at the same time, um, he was the one who sort of forced the level of the game up more than anyone else did. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, honestly, I, it's kind of funny. Like, I've been the, a guy who's been saying, like, oh, Ruff is the great, greater than Federer, or oh, Novak's the greatest. But now that, like, Rafa has the titles, I just don't really care that much. Uh, Because it's like... I feel like... Even even if people are choosing against Rafa, like, it's impossible to discount um, what he's done. Uh, Novak, he has the head-to-head record and, like, um, a lot of other things on on the other two. And yeah, Federer has uh, the popularity and the aesthetical uh, element. Um, so yeah, I, I actually wouldn't mind if they were they were considered uh, equals. Yeah, that's that's my hope too. Um, just because it's the sort of thing where there's a case for all of them, and they're. The way that people weight just the different variables differently. Um, and it's it's the kind of thing where it's not like in 95% of cases, one of them is the greatest. It's more of like, it is really, like they all have probably like 20 to 40% of the, the, uh, the sort of, you set the parameters in a certain way and then this one, then this person wins out. They're all in the 20 to 40% range. And if there's that level of uncertainty and margin for error, I think they should all three be considered in the same, in the same, uh, 
level. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I think that about does it for us uh, at the Doubles Alley for uh, Roland Garros. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, for one, I mean, I'm a big Nadal fan, and I couldn't have been more pleased with with the outcome. Like, I'm used to Nadal just, like, scrapping and just uh, – Losing another chunk of hair every time he plays Novak, and today it was uh, the tide was the tide was in his favor the whole time. And uh, uh, Philip, yeah. Rafa losing another chunk of hair, or you losing another chunk of hair? Uh, I mean, I'm totally shaved, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, there are other places on my body where I'm losing. Blink out, yeah. Keep yeah. that, keep that butt hair. It's getting, getting cold. <laughs> 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 Which uh, I don't know. I think we we might do a pod. We, we might do a poll on Twitter uh, later this week. We're at Doubles Alley Pod. The poll will be: Should Rafa shave his head or not? Um, I think he should. I think he badass. Could. I'm, I'm voting yes. That would be some badass. Uh, who's the guy that coaches Federer? He would look Lubitsch. like Lubitsch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do it. Yeah. I got to sing happy birthday to my son, but goodbye to our fans, and we'll see you before the London Masters. Yep. Yeah. And happy birthday to Ace. And with that. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You guys off? Are we still on the pod or not? Yeah. I'm about to play uh, La Bamba. All right. Bye, fans. I'll see you guys. <laughs>